Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Here it comes. It's Monday here in uh, Georgia, if you're listening to us in real time. Well, it's Monday everywhere on this side of the international dateline. <laughs> Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Jim Galloway, the uh, lead political writer for the AJC, is sitting next to me for today's show. And Jim, we can now convene the uh, meeting of the board of the State Bar of Georgia, since we have a room full of lawyers with us today. Yeah, three, three lawyers walk into a studio. <laughs> and those three lawyers, Jim Galloway, are sitting next to you, Ed Lindsay. He uh, runs the... Uh, oversees the Georgia Government Affairs Division at right. Denton's, the world's largest law firm. You guys, you know, we have a number of lawyers from your firm, of course, who do the show. And, and yeah. the reason for it is not trying to show any favoritism to Denton's. It's just you all really specialize in uh, bringing in people who have had government and political experience. We like to think we bring uh, cream goes to the top. And the latest acquisition, another panelist Mm -hmm. who's been on this show any number of times when he worked with a different firm, Cesar Mitchell, former president of the Atlanta City Council. So... Caesar was a great addition. We're proud to have him. Yeah. Okay. Just want to explain to listeners why they hear us talk about Dentons all the time. They've really <laughs> cornered the market on politicians, which is a good thing or a bad thing, depending on your perspective. Sitting across from you, State Senator Jen Jordan is back with us, a Democrat who represents uh, the northern parts of the city of Atlanta, goes up to uh, uh, Cobb County. Um, into, like, Smyrna and area? I yeah, always get Smyrna this wrong. Bindings, yeah. um, you know, I've got Chastain Park, Sandy Springs, you know, kind of the, the cradle of civilization <laughs> when so, it comes to the city. So when a, when a concert at Chastain goes three minutes past 11 p.m., you're the one they call, the neighbors call, to complain about the noise factor at Chastain Park. I don't think that's in my jurisdiction. <laughs> <laughs> You're an elected official. I don't know. All right. We, we won't ask people to call you. Uh, Chuck Cook is also with us. He is one of uh, the top uh, uh, immigration lawyers in the Southeast, and we rely on you, Chuck, to come in here when we have immigration in the news. And boy, do we have it in the news oh, right once now. Once again, we're back, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we get into a conversation in more depth, what is is your caseload made up l- many cases largely of people who are here looking for asylum looking to remain in the country how how many cases like that are you handling at uh, any given we probably time? have at any given time three or four hundred of those cases really? that we're handling uh, but that's probably only about twenty twenty five percent of our caseload uh, more than half of our caseload is uh, legal immigration yeah. companies businesses bringing in people to work in the United States. Uh, and then families, people, you know, people fall in love with people from other countries. Um, so we help them get their get their new spouses in the United States. Okay. Well, um, we're going to talk a lot about immigration today, Jim. A starting point for it would be we are all of us eagerly waiting as the Supreme Court winds up its session and is uh, releasing opinions on important cases. We thought maybe this morning we would hear about a couple of cases pertinent to this show, the case which questions whether a citizenship question should be added to the 2020 U.S. Census, right? Yeah, yeah that's, that's... They did not deliver they, that they, opinion. They, nor did they deliver on the on the partisan gerrymandering right, right. Uh, lawsuit. Right. So those are the two big ones, I think, with political implications. So I, I want to talk just briefly about the importance of that citizenship question, but... Um, you know, it, we're now in a time where these things are so charged, Ed, politically, yeah. virtually everything. How does Do we have any sense of how the court decides when they're going to release these crucial opinions? I, I know there are people who watch this sort of thing closely and come up with speculations based on yeah. whether the chief justice is wearing a necktie or a <laughs> scarf. How does this all unfold? Well, I'm going to blatantly steal an idea from, uh, from Jen Jordan. Because I think it's a good one, is that uh, it, it may very well be that Justice Roberts 
uh, will decide, you know, I, I want this to be discussed in terms of the legal merits. I don't want it to become immediate political fodder. So maybe I'll release that decision on Friday after the Wednesday and Thursday night Democratic debate. Jen, I thought that was a really interesting theory and may not be far from the truth. No, I mean, I think... Look, the, the reason people are looking so closely, sp- specifically at these two decisions, is because of the impact on our elections in 2020 and beyond. And it really goes to the legitimacy of the court, too. So if I'm the chief justice and I'm not wanting to politicize it as much as possible, I'm not going to release it in the middle of basically the biggest kind of moment in terms of the Democratic primary with, with the two debates that are going to yeah. happen. And I would wait till after, because if not, it's totally going to dominate um, those debates. Chuck, why is, this, why is this case so important? Well, I think it's because we're re-adding a question that had been taken off um, something like 50 or 60 years yeah. ago. Uh, and the question is, why add it now? What, what is the reason to bring this question back? Uh, there, of course, is the discovery recently of some evidence that perhaps it was designed to uh, make sure that we only count white people in America. Um, but uh, when we used to count it, uh, and I do a little bit of genealogy, and I, I love getting to the 1940 census uh, <laughs> and finding out you know, who was born where, what country they're citizens of. Uh, but today it's really des- it, it appears to be designed to dissuade people who may be undocumented from being counted in the census. Uh, People are afraid to come and talk to a government agent about who they are, where they live, how many people are in their family. You know, the reality is that would scare a lot of people. Uh, The interesting thing about that that is if Georgia, for example, decided not to count undocumented immigrants, we'd probably probably lose a seat. We'd probably lose Lose a seat seat in Congress. Congress. Yeah, we'd probably lose a seat. seat. Yeah, we'd lose a seat. You know, the one question I have about that is that uh, I think that if, and and Chuck, you know, you represent a lot of folks, so you probably have a a little better understanding than I do. But but I've been thinking about this. You know, folks are going to be more likely to be questioning whether or not to to fill out a census uh, questionnaire, uh, given the uncertainty regarding our immigration laws in general, Mm -hmm. than they are... Uh, about the fact that question number 32 uh, it deals with the c- citizenship. I think that that's the bigger concern that all of us should have is the necessity to get to uh, an update of our immigration laws because that's co- what's going to bring people out of the shadows and being more willing to participate in our society, including participating in the census. Well, you hit the nail directly on the head. I mean, what's interesting is uh, I, I give these uh, monthly discussions that uh, – a local mall here, Plaza Fiesta. Anybody yeah. wants to go to Mexico, go yeah. to Plaza Fiesta. By the way, a great place Great to place. Visit. Yeah. Great food. Uh, but the census people are there now, and yeah. a lot of the community organizations are there now saying you've got to be counted, you've got to be counted, uh, regardless of whether the question is on there or not. The question is just one more reason not yeah. to do it. Uh, because rumors, much like the rumors this weekend, rumors run rampant uh, in, in immigrant communities. And what, what starts as a very small thing that's not merely a big deal, like, so they're asking your citizenship, who cares? They're not, they're not going to share that. ICE is not going to use that information to come look for you. Becomes, if you answer this question, ICE will be at your doorstep the next morning. Uh, and so that's why a question like that becomes problematic for a lot of people. And then there's, then there's the, 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 the grassroots level that a U.S. citizenship a question can 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 uh, uh, reinforce because we're not just talking. If, if we're not talking, you had mentioned the possibility of of us re- reapportioning federal federal law mm-hmm. federal districts by by U- U.S. citizenship. That's probably. I mean, there's 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 a constitutional standard in in, in there, but not so on the state levels. Not in Georgia. Not in Texas. Not in many other states. Are uh, are state legislatures? required to apportion by pop, by total overall population they can do it by us citizenship or uh, uh, us citizens of voting age which would uh, which would give uh, uh, many states an alternative yeah there was a decision out of texas that dealt mm-hmm. with that which said that you could not it, it was not constitutionally required that you redistrict mm-hmm. according to citizenship but it was permissible jen yeah, well, I think it's an open question. I mean, um, and I think what we see is that how it would impact here on the ground is that then you wouldn't have to take into account. I mean, 
probably a million plus people that are living here in the state when you're talking yeah. about along, you know, drawing these lines. And that seems and this would be local. And this would be for local offices, county, yeah. county districts, city Absolutely. council districts. Absolutely. Well, and, and not, not only that, but, but also the idea of losing the money that comes from not counting yeah. people. Well, that's, the that, that, that's a separate issue, but yeah. an extremely important issue Huge. is that so many of the, of the issues, particularly dealing with education, which is a constitutionally mandated uh, service that, that has to be given. Well, that's, that's, an, that's, that's, that's irregardless of whether or not you're a citizen. Yeah, or I not. think that's an important Absolutely. point to make, that it's one thing, let's say, to talk about whether you ought to be a gen, whether you need to be a citizen to cast a ballot in, in any election in the United States. That seems uh, self-evident and, and, and clear. It's another thing to say that you must be a citizen uh, or or be a fr- or maybe you're afraid to answer the question uh, because the implications of that are we count everybody in a census and it's and it's a, and it's those figures go toward how much federal funding we get for any number of uh, uh, needs yeah. in the state mm-hmm. social service needs and other needs and roads. roads. So so it's one thing to say, yeah, you got to be a citizen to vote. It's another thing to worry that people aren't going to answer the question because they're not citizens. They still have rights in the sense that they're counted toward uh, the money that we receive from the federal government and many other things. I finally said that in a way that I think makes sense, although I started wrong. Well, we also know that there's, there's going to be an undercount. There's always an undercount of minority populations. The only question is... Do we add a question that ensures that the undercount will be greater than it might normally be? Well, here's what's going to be interesting, Jim. We have already seen the Supreme Court this year kick back a couple of cases, kind of based on some of what Jen was talking about, their concerns about being seen as too political, uh, that they just clearly, the the second uh, wedding cake case, the Oregon Mm -hmm. case, they kicked that back. They've done others. We now have this new information that that uh, Chuck referred to, the uh, Thomas Hofeller memo, Hofeller being the Republican consultant who wrote a study for the Trump transition team in which he said, if you had a citizenship question, you can almost guarantee that Republicans will be able to control even more completely redistricting in every state around the country. That came in after the court had her arguments. It is conceivable, we know, that the Supreme Court could say, we want to take this information in before we rule. We don't know what they're going to do about that. No, it's, it's possible. It's possible. But but uh, these lawyers will probably tell you that, that it's not likely. Well, yeah. So if they do that, they would remand it to, to the right. lower court for consideration of the evidence because the Supreme Court generally doesn't delve into kind of factual or evidentiary issues. But the problem with that is, is that the remand in and of itself would necessarily mean that the census question would not um, the citizenship question would not go on the census. Yeah, you've got a printing deadline. Yeah, because the time is of the essence. Uh, a lot of this stuff has to be prepared and ready to go right about now. So it's 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 time for the Supreme Court to make a decision one way or the other. All right. Well, we we are still waiting to see how the Supreme Court handles that. It's it's coming up. We think by the, when, when is the, when is their final day to uh, Friday? It's Friday. this Friday. Okay. Vacation yeah. starts on Monday for them. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. Um, <laughs> Chuck, we expected, because the president tweeted it out last week, he said in a tweet, we are going to begin rounding up millions, he used the word millions, of undocumented immigrants uh, almost immediately. There were, the media got alerts, lots of people in the media got alerts that this was going to happen over this past weekend. It was no secret. And and we know that ICE usually doesn't like to announce. No, they never announce when they're doing this. But in this case, it was widely known. I left town on early Saturday morning. Uh, I was told Friday afternoon to kind of pay attention to what was happening because there were going to be these raids over the weekend. And then suddenly the president says, not going to happen. What's going on? Well, he must have known that uh, last week through sat through Sunday was the annual conference of the American Immigration Lawyers Association when every immigration lawyer was in Orlando <laughs> uh, attending a conference. Uh, so oh, there we go. Um, this was this is clearly I think a, a, he must have been briefed by ICE to say, hey, we're going to be doing something to pick up these kinds of people, and and ICE's target apparently has always been on this particular let's call them I don't want to call them raids because it's not raids, it's just operations was to go after the people that did not show up for court 
after they had been released and who had appointed counsel. So, and, and it was limited to between two and three, maybe 2,400 people was the total. And that was it. That's all that was going to be picked up. Other than, and ICE is cons- constantly doing uh, pickups. They're constantly looking for some of the 900,000 people that have deportation orders. These are people who, in many cases, I think I'm right, were deported in abstention. They well, did not show up yeah, for, for the, their for the, hearings. The 23 or 2400 were those that did not show up so in yeah. absentia. There's also 900,000 other people that have just deportation orders over the past 25 years that ICE has not been able to confirm left the country. They're always looking for them. Uh, so this was, from an, from an everyday lawyer perspective, this was like, oh, okay, this is not that different. But you add the context that millions of yeah. people are going to be mm. somehow picked up magically over the weekend <laughs> by an agency that literally has no more capacity than they currently have yeah. to pick up and deport around maximum 400,000, but closer to 300,000 people a year. It's, it's magical thinking that was simply never going to occur, but did, in fact, cause, the, I believe, the necessary panic in the community. And you could, you, you, know, you, you, could see, you could see it. You, you see it in the political literature. You, uh, you have Brenda Lopez, who's the, our, our, uh, yeah. a 7th District, going to be a 7th District congressional candidate, a Democrat, uh, uh, sent out an email with instructions on, on, on how uh, residents of Gwinnett County need to behave. You had Nancy Pelosi get up and and uh, give legal advice on whether to whether you have to uh, invite a an ICE agent in when when he or she knocks at your door that was correct advice by the way yeah uh, I will tell you uh, she look, got look, that correct can, can I ask a question <laughs> sure. to, to Chuck you know historically nine hundred thousand is a is to me a, a concerning figure just in terms it's been of building in, in terms of the rule for of law 20 years and, yeah. you know what you know we can we can debate the wisdom of immigration just in terms of the rule of law from a historical standpoint how many folks are we really talking about versus folks that have that 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 generally speaking that we know would will probably have already left the country it's probably about half a million yeah probably about half. i mean it's a substantial number of people but the odd part of that is probably somewhere about two to three hundred thousand of them have been reporting to ice regularly yeah and ice has kept them on what's called an order of supervision and ice has gradually over the last year and a half been saying okay your order of supervision is over now it's time to go. So they've been, yeah. they've been consistently going over the past okay. couple of years. Jim? But, but this is the deal. I think what we saw with what the president did in terms of the tweets and, it, you know, millions of people are going to be, you know, um, arrested and taken away and, and, and you know, these families are going to be separated. You get that and you can see why people are concerned about the citizenship question. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole idea that the United States or that, you know, the Department of Commerce may then use that information to then go into people's homes and to pull families apart is not a huge leap in light of what the president is putting out there. Um, let me yeah. play something real quickly. Grant Blankenship, who, of course, is a reporter for GPB Radio, went out to uh, talk to undocumented immigrants to see how they were feeling uh, Chuck, you've certainly been talking to them uh, yourself as they anticipate uh, arrests being deported. Uh, we're going to play just a little portion. Uh, Grant has not put this piece uh, in, ti- in its entirety on the radio yet, and he gave us permission, which we're grateful for, to play at least a piece of it. So you're going to hear him talking uh, to a couple of people who are here uh, without uh, uh, legal authority to be here. I have a daughter, my sister's married, and we all have our own families and new lives. But we all live with the same fear because our parents have to be hidden. They can't leave the house. They're not going out with us, they're not going out. Some, both inside and outside immigrant communities, say that for people who are just working and staying out of trouble, the president's words mean nothing. It's people that already have deportation orders or criminal records who are in jeopardy. But that's cold comfort for people like the young man who just arrived in the headline making migrant caravan. Now, he and his dad have immigration court dates to keep, but no idea what Trump's new words mean for them. We're just praying to God that we get more time to stay here. You'll be able to listen to Grant Blankenship's piece. Um, I'm not quite sure when it's scheduled to run. I'll find out and so I'll don't let change you know. the channel. Don't change the channel. <laughs> Chuck, those are stories. You hear those people oh, every all the single time. day. I mean, this morning, in fact, I had a, an appointment set up with a woman from about a week or so ago, and she called and said, I'm too afraid to come. 
I'm too afraid to get in my car and come to your office and talk to you. Jim, I haven't seen... I, do we have any... And I, I'm kidding you out of nowhere with this, so I apologize. I haven't seen any kind of polling lately that tells me how Americans... Oh, today. Today. Oh, today, okay. uh, the, new, the new Gallup poll came I out I haven't today. seen it. Just came out this morning. 74% of Americans believe that immigration is good for America uh, and that we should have some sort of legalization pathway to legality program. I, thank you. Only, I didn't 19% see that. Only 19% opposed it. Okay. You, you know, uh, Bill, we haven't talked about this yet, but when, you've, when, you have a, when you have a president giving a heads up and, 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 and saying millions of people are, uh, are, are, are about to, to be collared and depo- deported, you're kind of putting your law enforcement machine in a great deal of je- jeopardy. I mean, you're you're ratcheting up the, the tension. I mean, I mean, it, every every ice call becomes a, a domestic abuse case, if you will. Some something just as dangerous as that. Um, keep, keep in mind that announcement from the president. Actually, it came out the day before he was oddly enough going to Orlando, where all the immigration lawyers were, to start his reelection campaign. It is it was quite clearly a politically motivated tweet. Uh, to get him started, much like coming down the escalator uh, five years ago. And what we, well, we, the, the tweet in which he said, we're not going to do this, there's more to it, and we need to talk yeah. about that. He essentially said, I want to give time for Congress to come to some decisions to get some funding put together so yeah. that we can deal with the immigration crisis we have at the border. And he's... He's not wrong that Congress had better start figuring out a way to appropriate money for the border crisis. Well, the fact of the matter is we have to. And and what both sides need to do is to reduce the posturing and let's get to it. I mean, the um, the studies that are being done, the reporting that's being done in, in terms of the con- conditions in the camps, uh, you know, should concern any anyone. And, you know, the money's available. It's simply a matter of the Congress having the will uh, to pass a clean bill and then get the, gov- get the president to sign it. And then let's move on to the larger issue of, of, of reforming our immigration laws along the lines of what we've been talking about. Uh, if I may be, be so bold as to quote the Bible on this issue, uh, <laughs> the book of Micah says something along the lines of, seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly. And, uh, Amen, <laughs> and I brother. think it's time for folks on both sides to do you that. Know, yeah. you, you, you brought up an interesting point uh, about the money and having a clean bill. Yeah. The president doesn't want a clean bill. Yeah, that's, that's what have, I was going to ask you, you all to, about. You have to look at his tweet. Yeah. He wants us to eliminate our asylum laws deport anybody who shows up despite their their seeking refuge in our country under our international treaty obligations and give money for the program. Uh, The House is prepared to pass, I think it's a $4.5 billion funding bill to deal with this issue of detention and removal. Yeah. But Um, it's arguable whether it's a clean one or not. There are are some restrictions that need, you know, I guess what I'm saying is this, is is, is that I've heard that, and and I'm not necessarily sure that that's exactly correct in terms of the the president's policy, but let's go ahead and test them. That's what I'm saying. Let's let's have the Democratic House pass a clean bill. Uh, turn it over to the Republican Senate, which will hopefully pass a clean bill, and then test the administration. Then we can come back and see whether or not your concerns are legitimate or not. Jen, one of the problems here is that so much of what the president has asked for, if you're a Democrat in the U.S. House, if you're a Democrat anywhere, is that his funding measures always, always, always uh, insist on money for his wall, which Democrats are never going to give him. I mean, it, it it's one of the reasons you won't have a clean bill coming out of Congress. Well, the, the problem is, too, is when you talk about a clean bill and what that means and what that looks like, the problem is that once it gets to the Senate, uh, Mitch McConnell's not going to put anything on the Senate floor that will pass and then send it to the president if he thinks the president's going to veto it. He's been pretty clear about that. And so it's one of those things where Congress as a whole, including the U.S. Senate, has start has got to start doing its job and start well, being grown-ups here and then put it on the president's plate. Well, like I said, I, I, I would say that, that all parties need to do their job. That's getting back to what I've just said, said a moment ago. I'm prepared to test that theory that you just came up with in terms of whether or not McConnell 
particularly as 2020 approaches, which it, which we're already into the election season, in which you have a lot of Republicans that are going to be up for re-election in those states that are that desperately need to have a clean bill passed, whether or not that's, that he's going to be he or anyone else. I'm not saying Mitch mm-hmm. McConnell would do what you what you've said, but I'm simply saying. Let's go ahead and test that theory, and it, you know, and as you well know, appropriation bills start in the con- in the House. Let's get the House to pass a clean one. Let's see what the Senate will then do. Hopefully, they would pass it, and then we'll move it on to the right. president's desk. I'm sorry, I gotta, I've got to get to a break, Ed. You get the last word on that segment. We got a lot more immigration uh, matters to talk about, including some very distressing news that we've gotten from a number of reporters down uh, at at the border about the conditions under which children are now being kept. We'll get to that when we come back. A couple of quick notes. Uh, If you're paying attention, just before we went on the air, the USA women survived a really big scare from the Spanish uh, national team. The women won that match 2-1. to one. They won on a penalty kick by Megan Rapinoe uh, in the uh, uh, th- about the 70th minute. And uh, so they're on to their next match against France, which I think takes place uh, Friday, thanks to Megan Rapinoe's uh, penalty kick. All right. Wanted to give you that news. We'll be back in a minute. <laughs> Time for a golf. GPB's fiscal year ends on June 30th. At this critical time, we remind you that listener support makes all the programs you hear on GPB possible. Help us end the year strong, and your contribution will be matched dollar for dollar, thanks to a generous challenge from Pembroke Advanced Communications, Mariana Height, and Elizabeth Norman. Please go to gpb.org or call 800-222-4788. And thank you. It's been a week from rising tensions with Iran. It's getting more dangerous by the day. To a shakeup at the Pentagon. He uh, presented me with a letter this morning. That was his, uh, that was his decision. To the start of the president's re-election campaign. Keep America great. I'm Ari Shapiro. We will discuss it all this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Four till seven today here on GPB and gpbnews.org. All right. We're back on Political Rewind just to uh, remind you of who is here. If you're not watching us on Facebook Live, which you can do, you know, just go to the GPB news page on Facebook and there we are. Uh, We have Chuck Cook, immigration attorney, with us today. We love to turn to Ed when uh, we're talking immigration matters, but we like you when you talk about other politics. We love talking about all kinds of politics. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Senator Jen Jordan, Democrat from City of Atlanta and parts north. A former state representative. I didn't introduce you with that at the beginning of the show, Ed Lindsay, but you are a former Republican legislator from yeah. Atlanta and now Denton's government affairs head in the Georgia region. And, of course, it's Monday, which means Jim Galloway, lead political writer of the AJC, is with us. Are you working on a column for Wednesday? I am. I am. Yeah, and you want to give us a hint, or is it... Uh, well, I'm trying to... Um, You've seen a lot of tension occurring between the NRCC and Lucy McBath in the 6th District race. I think I'm going to explore that a little bit. All right, good. We'll look forward to that. You read Jim Galloway on Wednesdays and Sundays in the newspaper, and of course he oversees the Political Insider blog, which is part of AJC.com. Jim, um, some very disturbing reports reached us over the last week. Uh, from people who, lawyers primarily, who have been given permission, have found their way into some of the detention facilities around El Paso at the border. And the conditions they are describing of how children are being kept, in some cases, with uh, no soap, no toothpaste, living in dirty clothes. Children of seven or eight taking care of other children. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Two and three-year-olds. And and you had had a case where an attorney for the U.S. government stand in front of a judge saying that that, uh, toothbrushes and soap are not necessary for the for the the care and protection of these kids. Yeah, uh, she was a Justice Department lawyer who tried to tried to fend off these uh, allegations that the kids weren't being taken care of. And Ed, she found it. I mean, if you watch video of her, you had to see the video. Yeah, it isn't enough for us to play the audio. 
uh, she was clearly completely unprepared when one of the judges she was talking to said, you you must provide for these young people. Uh, This is not something that we want to hang on. This is not a Republican or a Democratic issue, Ed, and yet... Well, go ahead. No, it's it's not. And, you know, I think uh, President Trump's uh, defense uh, when he was interviewed by Chuck Todd this weekend, well, the conditions weren't good underneath the Obama administration either. That doesn't wash, uh, quite frankly. Uh, you know, you, if you have these deplorable conditions, uh, you know, you're the person in charge. You're the one who's in, in charge of fixing it. And it's up to this administration to take the affirmative steps to you are, fix it. You've already declared a national emergency. Yeah. Only well, no, and, you know, but my, my point is that, you know, these are children. These are children who have committed no crime, <laughs> who are being held simply because of the, uh, the immigration system in place while they await a decision by their, uh, in, regarding the immigration status of their parents, by and large. And, you know, they need to be treated humanely uh, in, in a manner that we would expect uh, our society to do so. Jen, the, re- the response from immigration officials and from from some uh, elected officials who uh, are on the president's side is that we're are, we're overwhelmed and it is true that we have seen massive numbers of families coming across the border in numbers never seen I think previously Chuck can correct me mm-hmm. if I'm wrong so it, it, it what the the vice president was on CNN yesterday, and uh, Jake Tapper was very tough on him and said, why don't we have the resources to take care of these children? And the vice president basically laid it off on Congress, saying it's time for them to step up and appropriate the funds. And Tapper said to him, you can find the money to do it, can't you? And the vice president, in a rather reluctant way, said, yeah, we could. Well, because he can. I mean, this isn't who we are as a country. I think that's what's been so overwhelming is that it really is not um, a Democratic issue or a Republican issue. I mean, we are a country of immigrants. You know, we can all trace, you know, our lines back to various places around the world. I mean, that's what's always made us great. And for us to treat the least among us, these little children, and not even give them the basics and then have people representing our government stand up in court and, and try to say that it's okay. It's just something that I never thought I would see, and it's something that we have got to correct. I right. mean, I, I period. Believe, I, I believe, just in terms of a latest development, Bill, that, uh, that, this, that this facility where, where these lawyers visited has now been emptied, largely emptied of, of, of children. Yeah, we don't know where they went. And well, that's yeah. the problem. They just moved them around. Yeah, yeah you know, let, let, I think we have to be clear. You know, I, I know, Jen, you're, you're shocked by this. I'm not shocked by this. This is not new. This has been going on for years. Yeah, you know the the reality is it it's the volume is is crazy and and the and the spotlight is on it. I'm not shocked that a government lawyer got up and said that toothpaste and soap wasn't necessary because I hear arguments like that every day of different types in immigration court from government lawyers. So when you say uh, this that, has been going on for years, we're talking about you're saying it crosses administrations, across administrations, yes. the mistreatment of people in immigration, civil immigration because these are not jails. Right. These people are not being held in, in, any, in any sort of uh, custody because they broke a law. This is civil detention. Uh, civil detention has been treated uh, in a, it has become a horrific way uh, to try to enforce our immigration laws. Second, these children, who are these children, this, this particular group of kids that, that, that were featured? Uh, these are not kids who were taken from their parents. These are kids who were taken from the people that came, they came with. Yeah, uh, they could be siblings. Uh, they could be uncles and aunts. Uh, they're not their biological parents, uh, so they've been separated from them. Those parents have been put in. Those are the people they've come with have been put in other facilities. Now, under the Flores settlement that the Clinton administration agreed to uh, back in, 19, in 1998, uh, these kids are to be held by CBP no longer than 72 CBP. hours. CBP Customs and Border Protection. Thank you. Um, uh, and you know, guys at the airport, black uniforms, guns. Those guys. Uh, they, uh, the problem here now is they have never had to deal, not with the volume, volume they can deal with. It's the type of volume and it's children. Yeah. Uh, and they are not coordinating, coordinating with Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, which is supposed to come get these kids. HHS is saying, we can take care of the kids. You're not telling us where they are. You're not letting us know. 
um, the Customs and Border Protection is not hiring the temporary nurses, the doctors, the psychologists, the babysitters to be there for the volume people. They literally have guards guarding children, and that's not who you need. So I think Jen's right. They can easily find the money. They found the money for the wall out of the defense budget. I can find it somewhere else. Um, but this disturbing part here is that this is not new. It's just that Americans are learning about it for the first time and are shocked by it. Uh, there's a lot of other shocking stuff to fall uh, before this entire episode ends. Ed, uh, how do how do you know when you have a President Trump demonizing immigrants, and 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 therefore I think talking about the hordes of people crossing the border, do you as a Republican think that he contributes to the problem because he makes it less important to to his own supporters that we find humane ways to treat these people? Um. It's not helping, uh, certainly not. Uh, it's not putting uh, forward the ideals of our country that we'd like to have brought forth, uh, whether uh, you be a Republican or a Democrat. I think the data that uh, that Chuck was mentioning a few minutes ago in terms of what 72% of our country uh, wants uh, a, uh, believes in immigration and believes that we should be able to deal with these sort of things. Uh, we are dealing with some practical problems. Uh, yes, this is something that's gone on through Republican and Democratic administrations for well over 20 years, if not longer. Uh, but uh, but this administration is the one in charge today. All right, mm-hmm. let, let's talk about it from a political point of view for a few minutes with all of you. Jim, let me start with you. Um, as you pointed out, Brenda Lopez issued a she's a, a, a put out a statement about this uh, a roundup that did not end up taking place uh atlanta's mayor keisha bottoms has been out there speaking out very angrily about any effort to try to arrest people in the city of atlanta the president himself as he when he said we're not going to round these people upset but i'm giving congress two weeks to come up with a revised asylum law that will straighten out some of these problems. How is this all going to play out in the 2020 cycle? Well, you've got two, you've got two cycles. I mean, you've, you've, got, you've got the primary cycle, and, and, you've, and you've got the general election cycle. I think Democrats are probably less affected by this than Republicans. Uh, you do have... Uh, for, for because ins- they're lined up pretty much on the for, same for, side. On the same side. Okay, nope. let's 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 take Cobb County for example. You've got uh, Neil Warren, the sheriff there, running for running for re-election. Uh, he has backed 287G, uh, and and that which which uh, which allows which, which allows local officials to kind of act as as enforcement of federal immigration laws. So the question is, okay, if if in 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 a primary that helps Neil Neil Warren, he, he'll he'll probably uh, get the Republican nomination. In a general election, it becomes something quite different. Let me let me sort of disagree with you a little bit when it comes to you know it'll play out you know primarily tough on Republican and Democrat. As Chuck was pointing out, this is the problem that's been going on for 20 years, including uh, the last Democratic administration uh, that was in office for eight years, including a vice president who's running on uh, the fact that I was the vice president with President Obama. Don't you think in a Democratic primary uh, that how that as, as more and more of the story unfolds, as we show that this is not something new, that this is something that's been going on, these problems, these conditions, these camps sort of situations, these treatment of children have been horrific for, for t- 10, 20 years. Don't you think that uh, in a Democratic primary when, with someone, a former vice president is running on, on his administration's operations, that that's not going to be an issue? Well, keep Among in mind, the Obama's nickname is the deportation president. Yeah, yeah I mean, among, certainly among he was deporting. Yeah. But, 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 Jen, again, I go back to the president. In a, in a, we'll see. I think Jim and Ed make very valid points about it, the, how primary races may play out. But as you move past primaries toward the general election, it's interesting to look back on the history of the problems we have to have Chuck Cook say this has been going on across administrations. 
But President Trump has bought his own trouble here, uh, simply by demonizing the immigrants coming in, by making it clear he feels they have to be dealt with in the toughest ways possible. As elections gets underway, he's bought that problem. It may be true what Ed Lindsay says, that Democrats will learn more about their own mistakes in this area, but the president seems willing to embrace the role of a bad guy in this. No, look, he characterizes every immigrant as a criminal who is possibly going to be a rapist and or a murderer. I mean, there are consequences to using that kind of language and to having those types of characterizations. And so the but the problem is that that our immigration system is broken and has been for a very, very long time. I mean, when we're talking about we're talking about the the Flores agreement, the consent agreement decree that the, the that was under Clinton. I mean, this is how long much of this has been going on and we have been so broken in terms of our partisanship that we just can't get it together. And so right now, you're right. The president has embraced it and he is demonizing these people because he has to make it look like, you know, folks are coming in here and they're going to take away your jobs and they're going to hurt you and all that kind of stuff because that's how he campaigns. But the problem is I think people are really looking for leadership right now, and I don't really care if it's a Republican or a Democrat with respect to that. I don't either. And, you know, and one of the things that, that I think understandably a lot of folks in the Hispanic community are understandably upset about is they go, look, you know, yes, we've got a president that uses language that we don't appreciate. But we've got, on the other side, we've got uh, a Democratic Party that when they are fully in power does nothing. Mm-hmm. as they did in, 19, in 2009, in 2010, 2010, when they had control. And the last time we had a comprehensive immigration overhaul was underneath the Reagan administration. And the last time we had a president who was fighting to overhaul, he failed to do so, but he tried very hard, was President Bush. Mm-hmm. George W. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do this. Let's get another break out of the way. When we come back, we're going to change the subject because uh, Senator Jen Jordan has a bill that we want to spend a little time talking about that just won the endorsement of the, well, she looks like maybe. (laughs) Well, it's been reported she may have the support of the state's new head of law enforcement. We're going to talk about what that measure is and how Jen Jordan plans to pass it in the next session of the General Assembly. This is Political Rewind. The countdown has begun. The end of GPB's fiscal year is almost here. Your support will help us wrap up the year on strong financial footing so we can continue to serve you in the months ahead. Your donation right now will be matched dollar for dollar thanks to a generous leadership gift from Pembroke Advanced Communications, Mariana Height and Elizabeth Norman. Please go to gpb.org or call 800-222-4788. And thank you. I'm Ira Plato. This week on Science Friday, we take a trip to Colorado for a look into the secrets of wildfire smoke and the people who chase it, plus a treasure hunt for Colorado's historic heirloom apple trees and the climate-threatened life of the pika. Never heard of one? You will on the next Science Friday from WNYC Studios. 3 o'clock this afternoon here on GPB and gpbnews.org. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Jen Jordan, the, there was a report in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and they always tell the truth. Yeah, especially <laughs> on, the, on the blog, on the yeah. insider blog. Yeah, yeah on the blog. political, that's where it was. Well, Jim, yeah. why don't you, before we turn it over to Senator Jordan, tell us what you reported. Well, you had, I, I, all I did was, was point to a WABE report. Our, yep. your, 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 our friends. Our friends uh, uh, over, 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 uh, over, over in Midtown, and uh, there was an interview of Vic Reynolds, the new GBI uh, director, and he was about asked about whether uh, whether uh, uh, convicted domestic abusers ought to be able to possess firearms. And he said, "Well, maybe it's a good question we need to take a look at." I mean, he did one one thing he, that was interesting. He did say was that uh, that uh, it, it posed a specific danger to law enforcement officers. Jen Jordan, this is a bill that you introduced this session. Is this the first? Did you introduce it this past session for the first time, or have you had this in previous to this too? Previous session. Too. Okay. I mean, it's an important issue in terms of whether you look at it from 
the perspective of law enforcement or from the perspective of victims of domestic abuse. I mean, the most dangerous calls that um, law enforcement get are to domestic situations. And it's one of those things where we already have federal law that establishes that if you're convicted of domestic abuse, then you need to not have a firearm. And so really, it I thought it was pretty simple, (laughs) as nothing ever is in this state, but that we would just make Georgia law consistent with federal law to enable our state law enforcement officers um, to get guns from, you know, domestic abusers. And it passed unanimously out of the the Judiciary Committee. But let me also say that this is an issue that's been going on for a while uh, in the General Assembly. Uh, and is a bipartisan issue. Uh, Senator now Senator Brian Strickland introduced the exact same bill that I believe in 2006, 2007, uh, in the General Assembly in the House when he was in the House with with both Republican and Democratic uh, co-sponsors. And you know, and and Jen's right, and I and I applaud her for for picking up and running with this, and hopefully. You know, she'll get some bipartisan uh, co-sponsors on it, similar to what was done in the House, and we can get it passed because, you know, this is this cuts to the heart of what folks talk about going. Yes, we believe in, you know, we yes, we believe in gun rights, but there's also gun responsibility. And there's some people, uh, particularly folks who've been convicted of domestic violence, that shouldn't be. Uh, in possession of one. Now, as as to the, the meaning of a of a GBI director endorsing something, you know, you know, it's you, the one thing, Bill. You got to note is is that these endorsements haven't. Uh, there are endorsements that GBI directors have made that haven't worked before. Well, that's absolutely because, true. Because, I mean, because Vernon Keenan was well aware. Of yes, it. <laughs> yes, and he for for many years, uh, Vernon Keenan had has endorsed uh, a hate crimes yep. legislation. Yep. And of course, it did pass the House uh, this time mm-hmm. for the first time in in years and years yep. and years with uh, with with sexual orientation as one of the protections. Okay, but one of the reasons it strikes me that this is significant, and I think you pointed it out in your your uh, story about this, Jim, is that this is a guy appointed Vic Reynolds, appointed by Governor Kemp, the same Governor Kemp who ran uh, primary ads uh, with a shotgun in one ad and another a pickup truck where he was going to round up undocumented uh, immigrants. So. So here's it's interesting that a Vic Reynolds might indicate he could possibly support Jen's bill, which comes back since mm-hmm. we're going to be in the second year of a biennial. Uh, it, it's a little uh, dissident uh, sort of note in all of that. It'll be interesting to see if the governor tries to rein him in. I'm not sure he will. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of the opposition to this bill kind of comes from the NRA's power that it used to have. I'm not sure the NRA's got the respect that it used to have. But it's really not um, even the NRA but, that's that's, yeah. that's even pushing better. back Who's on it. Who's pushing back? It's, a, it's an organization that attempts to um, look like they're kind of a grassroots gun rights. Georgia carry? Georgia gun owners. Georgia gun And so, um, but when you look into it, they're actually kind of a nationwide thing. And um, they're the ones that are behind the opposition. And the way they do it is that they actually go very aggressively after the Republicans on social media and um, send out information to their followers so that, I mean, the phone calls just started coming in fast and furious after the judiciary um, hearing where every single Republican voted it out, including incredibly conservative Pro to you know yeah. Second Amendment right Republicans, well, and that's the same thing that was in the House. If you look mm-hmm. at the folks who were the co-sponsors of the bill in the House, was were uh, Brian Strickland, uh, Rich Golick, and Buzz Brockway, uh, three uh, conservative Republicans uh, who understood the need for that in the House. And so I, th- I, th- I think this is a sort of bill that ought to have strong bipartisan support. Jen, I I want to share with you just a very quick story. Share it with everybody, of course. When I was a young cop reporter in Chicago, uh, I, I used to spend time at a place co- with the police who uh, uh, were at Cabrini Green, which was a notorious high-rise uh, apartment complex of uh, public housing. And um, we worked nights with the cops there. And the single scariest event that happened in all of the time that I was at Cabrini Green was when the two police officers I was assigned to follow were uh, called into an apartment where a man and woman had had a terrible altercation. And as we entered the apartment, the woman was holding a gun on the man and threatening to kill him on the spot. 
She now I don't know the circumstances. I don't know that she was a domestic abuser. I don't know if he was. My point is when Jim Galloway says and you say that one of the scariest things about all this is to be in that situation. I, it was it was without question the scariest situation I've ever been in in my life. The well, poli- I have a friend the, of mine who's a high school buddy who's a who's a police officer in a suburban area, very safe suburban area. And he will tell you without a doubt, the most dangerous thing to walk into is a domestic dispute. Absolutely, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's Cabrini Green or a nice leafy suburb, to walk into a domestic dispute and not know what you're walking. Well, that's into. exactly right, uh, Jen. So you were you got out of committee, and it just never was brought to the floor. The the, did, the was the lieutenant governor unwilling to bring it to the floor? Was he talked out of bringing it to the floor? You know, I never really got a, a straight answer one way or the other. I mean, it's not dead because we've got this next session. Sure. Although I will say that in an election year, um, it's going to be tough. It, it's a little it less will, likely. It, it'll be a little less likely. Um, but it may be more important than ever. There was a case that came out of the Court of Appeals in March that seemed to indicate that uh, superior court judges may not have the power under um, temporary protective orders to actually order that firearms be taken away um, from someone subject to one of those orders. And we've got sheriffs around the state who are now actually giving firearms back um, to domestic abusers, convicted domestic abusers subject to these orders, and also refusing to have them surrender their guns, which they had done previously. And so that's a real problem. All right, wow. and, and, and let me ask you, just as, a, as the reporter in me has to say, do you have any any do you have the support of the Georgia Sheriffs Association on this? I believe we do. I have to go back and look. I know the district attorneys, law enforcement, sheriffs, but but you know this thing is such a hot button issue that it's it's difficult. Like I said, especially going into an election year when. All of our sheriffs are partisans in the sense they have to run in primaries yeah. and everything, too, um, which brings us back to why gerrymandering so bad, you know, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So it's one of those things where... Which is why we got to right, get the census right this we got to get the year. census right. We'll, we'll just take uh, it full circle. All right. We are completely out of time for today's show. Senator Jed Jordan, former state rep Ed Lindsay, uh, immigration attorney extraordinaire Chuck Cook, and Jim Galloway. I'm glad you all could be here today. By the way, just a quick follow-up. Uh, Robert Jimison sent me a note. It's basically what you said in terms of the Gallup poll, mm-hmm. uh, Chuck. 76% of Americans describe immigration as a good thing for the country. Uh, the additional fact that he put into his uh, information is that the same poll found 23% name immigration as the most important issue facing the country, which is the highest that, that ever has been. ever polled. So clearly immigration is going to play a huge role uh, in the election moving mm-hmm. forward into 2020, and we'll see if anything comes out of the debates that go on. Uh, starting tomorrow on Political Rewind, in addition to, of course, looking at the state and local news that pops up that we want to talk about, we're going to begin conversations about the Democratic debates, which take place Wednesday and Thursday night. Tomorrow, I'm going to ask the panel how they think uh, Pete Buttigieg is going to deal on his debate night with the uh, town meeting he just went through in South Bend yesterday, where the uh, many in the African-American community were up in arms, angry with him because of uh, the shooting death of a black man who was unarmed. Uh, Buttigieg is not right now doing well with black voters. Is there a way for him to recover? And we'll talk about Joe Biden and the struggles he may be having in explaining himself and why he liked so much working with James Eastland and Herman Talman. (laughs) So we'll begin conversations about the debates tomorrow on Political Rewind and, of course, have local and state news as well. That's it for us. We will see you tomorrow with another Political Rewind at 2 o'clock.